So we continue our journey through the uh, 12 minor prophets. We have said in the past that the minor prophets are minor simply because of the length of the book, not because of the importance of the message. We have three major prophets, and we have uh, 12 uh, minor prophets. We now come to the book of Amos, and we're going to try to do this in three different messages. Amos was from uh, the, the southern kingdom, uh, known as Judah. And we've talked about these two kingdoms. There was this, this uh, split of Israel. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We've talked about that. And you have Amos, who is coming from Tekoa in the south, 10 miles from Jerusalem, around 760 B.C. So he's in the 8th century. This is before the northern kingdom would fall in 720 2 BC, so both kingdoms are still existing and still going on. And Amos is called from the southern kingdom with a message for the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was under the rule of Jeroboam II. Remember, there was a, an original Jeroboam. This is years later. This is Jeroboam II. Uzziah was ruling in the southern kingdom. And times were pretty good. There was a relative stability within the kingdoms and even within the northern kingdom. So you have Amos, he's coming from this southern kingdom, and instead of preaching primarily, although there's going to be uh, prophecies for the southern kingdom as well, he is going and he's, he's preaching directly to the brothers in the north, to Israel, to the northern kingdom. There was relative peace, there was relative uh, financial stability within the nation, but there were also problems. Prices were high. There was a, a growing disparity between the rich and the poor. The rich kept getting richer, and the poor seemed to be getting poorer, and the poor were being oppressed by the rich. And there was a great injustice. People were struggling to get ahead. The price of milk kept going up. The price of ground beef kept going up. And every time somebody turned around to pay the grocery bill, $100 didn't stretch near as far. Sound familiar? People were struggling. And the more that they paid out, it felt like the more that they owed. The poor were being taken to court, and the rich people had all of the good lawyers who could make eloquent cases for those who had money. So if you had money, you were... You were pretty well off. You didn't have money. You were probably stuck with some kind of public defender who didn't care two bits about your case. Never forget, I've done many jail visits. Not me personally. I haven't been in jail. Okay, just want to clear that up. But I have visited jail to visit other people in jail. And it's interesting, the level of legal representation that people have when they don't have much money. I remember going into court, and this one guy was represented by a guy who looked like he had just rolled out of bed, barely combed his hair, and thrown a jacket on. Here's this clown. He's coming in, and he's representing this guy. And there's even the sense of this who cares attitude. Who cares? Who cares? Just funnel the people through the system. Just They're just like sheep, or they're just like cattle. The level of stability seemed to be okay, but there were major problems in the land. Fornication was at an all-time high. 
people were sleeping with whoever they wanted to sleep with. And that was becoming a major problem. Money problems. Music problems. People were listening to all sorts of despicable types of lyrics. Not just the music, but even the lyrics that were coming out were not godly lyrics. And people were listening to bad music in that sense. The message of the song was inappropriate. And God cares about a society, and he cares about how people live, and he really cares about how people treat each other. And God cares a lot about justice. God cares whether the poor are being treated properly. He cares deeply. He cares about equity, and he cares about righteousness. And this is a subject that many within the church get extremely uncomfortable with. And unfortunately, what has happened is messages have gotten off track by all of a sudden we get all these messages about social justice. And so the problem is with our land, at least some people will say, is that the answer is with the government. If the government would step in and make everybody pay whatever is called their fair share and would redistribute the wealth, then we could have everybody having a relatively stable income. There would be no super wealthy and there would be no super poor. Everybody would have kind of the same amount, at least relatively the same amount of money. Everybody would have a house and everybody would have a pot with a chicken in it. And so what we have is we have people today that are saying, here's, here's the solution to all of what we're seeing because there is injustice in our society. What they are saying is, even Christians are saying, is the government has to step in and take somebody's money and give it to somebody else, and that's the answer to all of our problems. It's very easy to be generous with somebody else's money. It's very easy to get into this message that says, yeah, God here is talking about all these social injustices, and it's very clearly laid out here in this book and in many other passages of the Bible. That's what we need. We need the, the government to step in, and we need to fight for the equal rights of all people, even economically, so that everybody has the same amount. This is called socialism. You take from the rich, the government comes in, the government takes from the rich and gives it to the poor, redistributes wealth, and then everybody is happy. And this message, if you've been listening clearly to the modern evangelical church, listen, this message is creeping in the church. There should be grave concern on our part as believers when we begin to hear messages like this about how to take care of the so-called social injustices of our day. And all of a sudden you hear preachers even from the pulpit announcing that the political and godly scheme is for people in political power to take money from those who have money and give it to the poor and even everything out. I remember when I was in our first church, and one of the jobs I had was working at Wendy's. I've worked many jobs. And I remember uh, talking to a, a co-worker about Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's. And they were saying something like this, can you believe us? Here we are, 
working, the little money that we make. We barely get anything. Here we are shredding lettuce and making hamburgers and taking money through the drive through window. And here's this guy, Dave Thomas, collecting all of his millions of dollars. You hear people talk like that. Yeah, this isn't fair. We're getting, we're getting ripped off here in the system. And this issue is, is brewing and it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue because there are problems in our nation. People are feeling the financial tensions and people are seeing injustices and people are seeing grave problems. And the question is, how do we, how do we handle all of this? And so what some people say is, well, we need to try the tried and failed approach of socialism. Never works. There was an economics professor at Texas Tech, and he said that he had failed very few students, but had once failed an entire class. The class had insisted that socialism worked and that no one would be poor and no one would be rich, a great equalizer. The professor then said, okay, we'll have an experiment in this class on socialism. He said this, he said, all grades will be averaged and everyone would receive the same grade. Meaning, obviously, no one would receive an A. They all agreed to this. After the first test, the grades were averaged and everyone got a C. The students who studied little were happy. But as the second test rolled around, the students who studied little had studied even less. And the ones who studied hard decided they wanted a free ride too. So they studied little. The second test average was a D. Now no one was happy. When the third test rolled around, the average was an F. The scores never increased as bickering and blame and name-calling all resulted in hard feelings. And nobody would study for the benefit of anyone else. To their great dismay, the professor failed them all. Then he sent them all this note. A socialistic government, he said, will also fail. Because when the reward is great, the effort to succeed is great. But when government takes all the reward away, no one will try or want to succeed. So you say the government is going to step in. There's a, there is a problem here. We have major problems in our country. There's no doubt about it. The Bible addresses them, but this is not the way to address the problems. And there are many people being duped. Yes, the government comes in and has a limited role in safety nets and helping out those who are truly stuck. We thank the Lord for that. We've had people in our church who have been assisted by different government programs, and no one should feel condemned or as if they are doing something wrong by being assisted. That's what they're there for. That's not what this is talking about. Let me just say by personal way of disclosure, uh, our first two children, Crystal and I, we made so little money that our first two children were born under Medicaid. And we worked hard, and we worked hard, and we worked hard. It wasn't a matter of just saying, look, the, the rich are so mean, and we need their money. It wasn't that. 
So there are safety nets put in place. There is a limited role of helping out those, even from the government, who are really struggling and trying to find a place in this world. We understand that. But what we are talking about is a message that has come into the church even that says that there are these social injustices in our society. And the way that we're going to fix them all is by robbing certain people to give to other people, and everybody's going to work really hard for the rest of our lives. Listen, that is a complete and total myth. That's a myth. The problem that, listen, the problem that we have in our nation, it's a moral problem. And the further we get away from the Lord, the further we get away from the Lord, the more injustices there's going to be, the more corruption there's going to be, the more oppression there's going to be, the more problems rich people are going to have, the more people problems poor people are going to have. As we continue to say to the Lord, no thank you, no thank you, we'll, we'll handle this on our own, and what we're going to do is we're going to come up with our own man-made solutions in order to fix all of the problems of our society. It'll never happen. And so we have all of these people in Amos's day, and they're living in very similar circumstances to us. It seemed like things were pretty good, but there were really a lot of problems that were boiling beneath the surface. And socialism isn't the answer. Let me give you seven wonders. This is pretty interesting. Seven wonders of the government or type of philosophy called socialism. Number one, everybody is employed. Number two, although everybody is employed, nobody works. Number three, third wonder, although nobody, nobody works, everybody fulfills the plan. Number four, although everybody fulfills the plan, there are no goods. Number five, although there are no goods, everybody has everything. Number six, although everybody has everything, Everybody steals. Number seven, although everybody steals, nothing is ever missing. So he comes in and he has an answer for all of this. God's answer to the problems in our society are real answers to real problems. And God uses this regular, ordinary guy from the southern kingdom to deliver a profoundly neglected message that we often do not hear about problems that we do not want to admit are there and give solutions to the problems that we know are there, solutions that we often do not like. So if you open your Bibles to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, that's Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So we can date when he was prophesying, and we can limit it to these two kings, and we can then say that it was right around 760 B.C. that Amos is going to deliver a message. But here he's a regular guy. In fact, the Bible says that he's a keeper of sheep. He was literally a shepherd. Later on, we'll see in chapter 7, he was a keeper. He tended to 
sycamore figs. This was a man who worked hard. As he says, he's not a prophet. At least he wasn't initially born into this prophetic office. He wasn't called at some early age into this office. And neither was he the son of a prophet. But he's this regular guy. He's just out tending sheep. He's taking care of figs. And God comes to him with this very important message about his times and what is going on and the fact that God is concerned with the fact that the people have been turning away from God, and turning to idols and turning to all of these different things that have just been discussed. And as a result of their turning away from God, the way that they're treating each other has been deeply affected. Instead of treating each other with kindness and uh, being pleasant, instead of treating each other with manners and honesty, people were ripping each other off. People were treating each other unkindly. Isn't it amazing how oftentimes you can even go into a store and how few times you will hear thank you at the end of your purchase? Or how often will you go into some place and somebody will greet you with something like this? Hey, how are you? Welcome. Very rarely. Listen, as a people turns from God, as a nation turns from God, Manners goes out the window, family goes out the window, civility goes out the window, justice goes out. All of the things that need to make a great society great go out. And so Amos is coming along and God is stirred up. He's looking at these different nations and he wants to get to Israel, but he's first going to pronounce judgment on these different nations. And so as the people are listening, when he's initially preaching and when he's initially bringing his prophetic word, surely there are people saying, yeah, I can agree with that. I can say amen to that because he's preaching about other people. Those people out there, judgment is coming. God is, God's presence is going to fall. People are going to be judged. People are saying, amen, we, we believe that. We can go along with that. But carefully and surely, Amos is closing in. He's closing in on the primary target, and that is the people of God, that is Israel, as they have turned from God and they are mistreating people. But notice there's this voice, verse 2, that roars from Zion. So God's voice comes as a lion, and he begins to go through these different nations in order. Look with me at verse 3, Damascus, which was the capital of Syria. God says, I have a problem with this nation for the way that they have been treating people because they have threshed Gilead. That is a region in Israel. When there is threshing going on, there's this sled-like tool that is used that goes over the grain. It crushes the kernels of wheat. It separates it from the chaff. And underneath this wooden sled is, are iron bands that are heavy and protect the wood, but they Crush the grain. And he is saying to Damascus, you've been heavy-handed. You have treated people violently. I am coming against you, Syria. He says, verse 4, so I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad, and I will break the gate bar of Damascus. He says, I'm coming against you, Syria. In those days, they had these huge, heavy gates with iron bars, and God is saying, listen, because you were violent, 
because you treated people ruthlessly, they would go in and we don't know all of what they would do. But that when they would go in, they would treat people cruelly and there was, a, there was a violence to them. And God is saying, because of your violence, because of the way that you have treated the people that you have opposed, God is saying, I'm against you and I'm going to judge you just as that iron has crushed the wheat. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to crush you. The next group he goes to in verse 6, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. This is an idiom of ascendancy. He's not just saying you've committed three or four sins. He's saying you've committed infinite sins. They just continue to rise. There's so many different sins that one cannot count. Gaza was a um, city of the Philistines, another old enemy of Israel, and God is saying, okay, I'm going to judge Syria, but I'm also going to come in and judge Philistia. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So here they come in, they enslave certain people, and they take them off. They say, we're going we're gonna to deliver these people that we have captured, but we're not only going to deliver the soldiers that we've captured. That was standard warfare tactics, but we're going to hand over grandma to them and we're going to hand over the children and we're going to hand over brothers and sisters. They were unusually cruel when they came in. So they came in and they defeated their enemy, but they didn't just crush them and beat them, but they carried them off. So here they carry them off from their homeland over to Edom and they say, hey, Edom, and we know that Edom was also a generally cruel people. And they said, we're, we're handing these people over to you. And God says, I have this against you because you have not treated, you have not treated these people well. Then he says something very similar for three transgressions. Tyre, verse 9 of Tyre. This was Tyre of Phoenicia, capital city of Phoenicia. And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom. Edom liked taking in people, so these different powers would conquer people and then sell them as slaves. We don't have a current problem with slavery as we have had in the past. We have an epidemic right now, though, of sex slavery. It's interesting, the dark things that are going on even in our nation right underneath our nose. We don't have the slavery of yesteryear where we have people that are being sold in this evil and despicable trade of slavery, and it was based upon the color of somebody's skin. How wicked, how wicked. So we have people being carted off from different nations because they have a different skin color. Can you imagine traveling over on some awful boat at the bottom of a boat, barely being fed anything in shackles, often being separated from your loved ones? You want to talk about injustice, brought here, mistreated, and we're still seeing a lot of the effects from that today. But can you imagine being a 13-year-old girl right now, taken from your home, transported somewhere else so that a number of men can use and abuse that girl? Whenever we think about these things, we think, oh, the, those, those sins, this is what God is saying. He's saying, I'm so against you because... You guys think that you're living well and things seem to be going okay. 
But don't bury your head in the sand and think that judgment will never come. Just because you're barely being able to get by and you're able to somehow pay the bills and things seem somewhat comfortable, do not think for a second that God is going to overlook sin, that he's simply going to go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wink at it or I'm not going to look at what is, what is going on. Then the next group he goes after is Edom, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword. And we remember in the book of Obadiah as Edom went after his own brother and betrayed him and how wicked that was. Then verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites. These were uh, descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. So Lot has these two daughters, and they both say, you know what, we can't find a husband. One of the most tragic stories in, in the Bible, so let's get dad drunk. We'll sleep with dad, and the baby that we have will be our child and will be the ancestor. Many descendants will come from them. A whole nation will be started. One of those nations was the Ammonites from that incestuous relationship. And God is saying, you're the relatives of the Jews, and you have been ruthless with them for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four. I will not revoke the punishment, but they, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. So in order to expand their territory and to expand their borders to get more property, this group of people goes into Israel. And they take pregnant women and they slaughter the women. They rip open their stomachs and kill the babies to make sure that there's no problems with future generations. And that's how they got more property. And God is saying, I've got a problem with this. I've got a problem with you going into another nation and being on the offensive and taking their property by means of ruthless violence. And then he goes after this other group that is brother to the Ammonites, and that's the Moabites. And the Moabites are also descendants of Lot and his other daughter. So you have the Ammonites from one daughter. You have the Moabites from the other daughter. For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Chapter 2, verse 1, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So at one point this king had died. And they had no regard for the dead. There was no honoring the dead. It was just who cares. And they burned his bones out of ritual. This was not cremation. This was to desecrate his bones. And this was to dishonor him. God is really big about honoring the dead. God is really big into not just throwing people into trash piles. Or treating people like animals. This is why Christians for many years have honored the dead. And when somebody dies in the Christian faith, we, we grieve over them, but we celebrate their faith knowing that they are with the Lord. I've often thought it would be wonderful. I remember Alistair Begg talking about this and thinking the same thing, how neat it would be to have a church cemetery. And he has often talked about, if you go to hit, listen to any of his messages or go to his conference, about going past these old churches and next to the church you have a 
a cemetery with all sorts of uh, different people who have who have died and gone, and their their memory is still honored because even though they are dead, yet they still yet they still live. And when somebody dies, they don't go into the realm of the dead. They go into if you're listening, if you're a believer, you go into the realm of the living. You'll never be more alive as a Christian than when you die and you meet Jesus. You'll never be more alive. You'll never be more dead than if you die and face eternal, everlasting, conscious torment away from the Lord. And you've never received Christ as your Savior. So the Bible talks a lot about honoring those who have gone before us. Because each person is precious and made in the image of God. And God comes against the Moabites and he says, I have this against you. You have desecrated and you have dishonored the dead. And I will not revoke the punishment. Now notice he finally comes here to Judah. He's working his way to Israel. So he's going through these different nations. And now he gets to Judah. Now Amos is is preaching. He is prophesying now against the southern kingdom. Verse 4 of chapter 2, he says this. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. It's very interesting. He comes to these other nations, and he doesn't say, listen, you have rejected the word of God. He doesn't say that to them. The law of God is written on every person's heart. Their their sins and their crimes were against humanity. They were wicked. Listen, every nation knows it's wrong to murder. You don't need a Bible to tell you it's wrong to murder. Every nation and every tribe in, in all of history and all around the globe knows it's wrong to steal. You go over into some little tribe in Thailand and you go to the most remote tribe and you enter somebody's hut. By the way, that happened with me. So maybe I'll just use that here this morning. I'll never forget as I'm in this little village and we were there to see where little girls were being taken from for the sex trade. And we get to this one little hut. There were two Christians in the village, two. And the chief was given us a little tour of the place. And it was kind of being whispered, this is where the, the believer is. This is where one of the believers is. Would you like to go in and pray? I was so honored. I was one of just a couple people who were able to, took off our shoes and we went up onto this little porch, which you had to be careful because you could probably fall through the bamboo slats. And we went in, we sat on the floor, and we all was was this one little room. No running water, just a room, basic hut. And this precious mother who was a believer, and it was our privilege just to pray with her. And so we prayed. And I don't know all that got lost in translation, but there was a sense of God's presence because even though you have two people on two different sides of the world praying, it's to the same God through the same Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I can guarantee you that if I walked into one of those or kneeled into one of those huts and on my way out snatched their purse, no one would say, hmm, that must be an American custom. 
because everybody knows it's wrong to steal. And so when God is talking, he is, he is talking to them about their crimes that they should have known better. But when he gets to Judah, he says, judgment is coming because you have forsaken the law of God. You have it. You have the word right in front of you. You have it to read. You have it to meditate on. I've given it to you out of all of the nations of the earth. I have divinely elected you to be mine. And yet I have this against you, that instead of pursuing the word of God and honoring the word of God, he tells Judah, you have rejected it and you have neglected it. And it's because of that that judgment is coming. Now, as we walk through Amos, we're going to begin to see how God deals with, we're going to see more and more injustices, more and more problems as we go through. And we're going to see God's specific and timeless answers as he directly leads us back to his word. But I want to close with this. Would you stand with me? The answer to all of our problems in our nation is a desperate need for the Lord. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, the problem of coming to the Lord and rending our hearts and not our garments and saying, God, we are in a mess that is too big for us. Lord, we see all of the problems, but God, you're going to have to do something. God, you're going to have to undertake in all of these different situations. Lord, the problem is too big for any of us. And we know that the problem, the root of all of these problems is our own sin. Help us, Lord. You bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we ask you to help us. We ask you to help us. Lord, we pray today that uh, for revival again in our nation, in our city, in our homes, that the revival fire of God would fall. God, that we would come back to the word of God that we have forsaken. Jesus, help us. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that you would use your prophet Amos to deal with things in our lives, God, that need to be dealt with so that we might see Christ Jesus lifted high. We pray this in his name alone. Amen.